morning, Gateway family. As you're gathering in your homes today, I'm thankful we have this technology to be able to keep doing this. But as the coronavirus trial carries on, we know you're eager to hear about our reopening plan. And the elders have actually been working hard on that um, the last um, few days. And they're actually meeting tonight to try to finalize a plan for Gateway. So please pray for them and have God's wisdom and um, trying to discern what is best for Gateway to do. And uh, be watching for uh, tomorrow when hopefully we can have an update uh, be sent out to you and know what our reopening plan is. Also wanted to share with you two updates in the children's ministry. Um, first, as much as it saddens us to say this, we are not going to be able to host Vacation Bible School this summer. Um, for the safety of the children, there was no way to host such a gathering that large um, in light of the coronavirus. So Vacation Bible School is not being held this summer. But uh, secondly, um, parents, we are still providing you with Kids Club at Home resources on the blog. Each Wednesday, we're sending out those resources, which is the same content your kids would be getting if we were able to gather at Gateway. This is a great resource to use to disciple your kids and shepherd them in light of this uh, crisis that we have going on and not being able to gather at Gateway. So please take advantage of those as we continue to send that out. And speaking of children's ministry, we also wanted to recognize the sixth graders that are moving up into the youth group. And I want to ask Molly to come recognize these sixth graders. Hello, Gateway family. It's so good to be able to talk with you this morning about our upcoming promotion that's happening. Every summer we like to celebrate with our sixth graders as they move on to the youth group. We like to come here to the church and present a Bible to them and with their parents and, and spend some time praying for them. Obviously, things were a little different this year, so we had a different plan. Um, you'll see from some pictures that are coming up that we, Drew Burton, the youth minister, and I went to visit these families. So our first stop was with Matt Butterfield. He is the son of Eric and Trish Butterfield. Um, our next family was Ollie Moody. Uh, he is the son of Jeff and Mandy Moody. Next stop was Elijah Polk, son of Daniel and Jessica Polk. And then the next was, and the last is Kaylin Steen. She is the daughter of Rick and Kim Steen. We are so excited for these sixth graders as they move on to a new situation, new environment. And we ask that you'll pray with them and with us and for them and for their families as they go through this and as they study God's word and learn more about him and dedicate their lives to, the, to him throughout these next few years. Thank you. Thanks, Molly. Well, Gateway family, we're, we're grateful to be able to worship in our homes, and as we prepare our hearts to worship together, I want to share a scripture reading. Psalm 84, the Word of God says this, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Let's sing about how good 
the nearness of God is to us.
As we enter into a time of prayer, I want to read from Romans chapter 6. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present yourself members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Father, we praise you, Lord, for this miracle you have done in our lives. Thank you that you have brought us in Christ from death to life, that sin no longer rules over us, that grace and righteousness and love and peace is all we know from you now. We praise you for this salvation, this new life you've given us in your Son. In light of this, Lord, we come to you wanting to pray to you, um, bringing to you the needs of our body here at Gateway. Lord, you are so sovereignly and providentially in control of this COVID-19 season, Lord, that is just stretching onward. And Lord, in the midst of this, Lord, we pray for the body of Gateway. We pray for the families, the individuals that are members at Gateway, Lord. We pray for protection and health and provision, Lord. Lord, anyone that may contract this disease, Lord, we pray for protection, Lord. We pray that in the midst of possible sickness, Lord, that you would give us a steadfastness, an anchor in our soul to trust in you, Lord. We pray for provision, God. People have lost their jobs, Lord, in our body of believers. Lord, we pray for them to trust in you, Lord. And even though they do not know the future and the outcome of this time in their life, Lord, they know you personally, Lord, because they have been made a son or a daughter of yours, Lord. They are one with your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for wisdom for the elder team as they meet this evening to try to finalize a plan for Gateway moving forward of when and how we should reopen. Lord, give them guidance and direction according to your spirit. 
Father, we also pray for our government. Lord, there's many decisions, both local, state, and national, Lord, that are trying to be made about this virus, Lord. There's a lot of fear, a lot of uncertainty. Lord, we pray that in the midst of this, you would guide our leaders and our governments to make wise decisions that reflect love and care for the people of this state and this country. Lord, we pray that you would use this in the lives of our, of our government leaders to expose just how weak and frail and feeble the attempts of mere humans are to try to contain something like this. The problem for the brokenness of this world especially the spiritual brokenness of this world, is only your son, Jesus Christ. We pray you would show this to our government leaders in this time. Lord, as we do each week, we also want to pray for a particular unreached people group, Lord. This time, Lord, we want to pray for the Muong of Vietnam. Lord, this is the second largest ethnic group in Vietnam. They live in various villages, but they all share this united view of animism and ancestor worship. God, in almost every home, they have an altar focused on worshiping false gods and a false religious system, and there's very few Christians amongst them, God. Lord, we pray that you would give them the whole Bible in their language. They have the New Testament, Lord, but they Lord, would you send someone, provide the resources, Lord, stir your people to give to this cause, to have the whole Bible in their language. Lord, we pray for workers to be sent to this region, Lord. We pray for current workers there that are enduring and trying to stay steadfast and reach this people group, Lord. We pray for your spirit to fill them with love, Lord, with divine appointments to share the gospel and for your Holy Spirit to soften hearts, Lord, and convert people in this ethnic group. And Lord, as we prepare to hear your word preached, God, we just thank you for your word that in the midst of this season, your word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We pray you would use it to grow us and transform us as we continue to study James, expose the sin and the idolatry in our lives, expose the idols of our hearts, Lord, that we are trusting in and leaning on during this time. Lord, we need you, Lord. We need more of you in our hearts. We need more of your spirit filling us, God. We come in total dependence on you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Well, good morning, Gateway family. It is great to see you once again this morning. I want you to find James chapter 2 in your copy of God's Word. James chapter 2. Well, now, while you're finding it, I want to ask you something. Think back to your childhood, friends. When you were a kid, did you like picking and choosing to make sure you got exactly what you wanted? Did you like the idea of picking and choosing? Perhaps you were on a trip to the dollar store. You wanted to get that toy, but not that one, and that accessory to make sure you got it just like you wanted. Perhaps, though, you did this at meals. I want potatoes. Oh, but not broccoli and an extra cookie, please. Yeah, we even have this humorous thing in our family that my kids affectionately call um, mix and match dinners, where they want to get a burger from Five Guys and a lemonade and french fries from Chick-fil-A. No matter what we do it with, friends, we love the freedom to pick and choose. We love the freedom to chart our own course. And we do this in many ways, not just with toys and not just with food. We even do that in terms of how we obey authority in our life. You can think back to your childhood. Did you ever pick and choose from what your parents said? When they said, come to the table to eat dinner, you were glad to obey. But when they said, you need to go clean your room, you thought, mm, maybe not right now. My friends, that doesn't stop with childhood. As adults, we tend to do the same. There's certain laws that we decide we want to follow and certain laws we decide that really don't apply to us. We may think, okay, I'm not going to run a red light, but the speed limit, no, nah, I don't really want to follow that. We like to pick and choose. Our human nature loves that. We want to be in charge. We want to chart our own destiny. We want to be our own boss. And friends, because of that, if we're not careful, we can start doing that in how we approach God's Word. We begin to want to pick and choose which commands of Scripture that we're going to obey and which ones we're going to follow. Now, we don't say that directly. Our actions show we're going to act like saying, sure, God, I'll follow that, but no, God, I really don't want to go down that path. So maybe it's saying, okay, God, I won't murder. But God, no, no, please don't tell me I have to go forgive that person. We may not say it directly to God that way, but our actions show we still want to pick and choose which part of God's law we want to follow. And that may be different for each one of us, but the reality is our nature is prone to want to pick and choose. 
As we continue in James chapter 2 this morning, I want to go ahead and tell you what our main idea is for the text this morning before we dig into it. And it's quite simply this, friends. We do not get to pick and choose which part of God's Word to obey. We do not get to pick and choose which part of God's Word we're going to obey. In other words, friends, we do not get to decide what applies to us and what doesn't. We don't get to decide what we think is relevant to our lives and what is not. We do not get to bargain with God and say, God, I'm not going to commit adultery, but don't tell me about my thought life. Or God, I'm not going to steal, but surely you don't expect me to go out of my way to help that person. You do not get to pick and choose which part of God's word to obey. But why, friends? Why don't we get to pick and choose? And that's what I want you to see in our text this morning. So be looking for that as we read James chapter 2. We're looking at verses 10 and 11 this morning. If you're able where you are, would you stand please in honor of the reading of the Word of God? Friends, what a precious thing we have in our hands that we get to see the written Word of God and we have His revelation to us. James chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. I'm reading out the English Standard Version. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you become transgressors of the law. Would you pray with me, friends? Father, we are so thankful for your word. We're so thankful that we get to gather together today in different homes scattered all across this city. We still get to open your word and read it and study it together. Lord, thank you for the blessing of that. Thank you in the midst of the coronavirus trial that we still see you at work, that you are still on your throne, that you are still working. God, I pray this morning that you'd be working as we look at your word, that your Holy Spirit will open our eyes to the truth of your word and will apply it to our lives. And Lord, this morning we'll come away with a deeper sense of just awe and wonder at who you are and what you said to us and what you require of us as well. We ask for much grace to understand this text today, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, friends. You can be seated. Again, what you see from James 2 this morning, we do not get to pick and choose which part of God's Word to obey. Now, these verses I just read, I want you to see what's happening here, because these verses are not in isolation. You see the context of what we're looking at. James is building an argument here, friends, and he's making a case for us. And this premise of this whole argument goes back to chapter 2, verse 1. So just glance back up a few verses. This is the thesis of all that he's saying and what we've been looking at over several weeks. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. He's making the case that we cannot have partiality or favoritism in our life. We cannot prefer some believers over others because of whatever possible external factor we choose to apply. Now, to make his case in the previous nine verses before our text this morning, he's shown us that partiality, that favoritism, is incompatible with our faith in Christ. He's shown us that partiality or favoritism is us longing for the wrong things, longing for the things of the world. He's shown us that the way to overcome favoritism is to replace it with genuine love and genuine concern for other people. But he's not done yet. Of all the issues he tackles, he spends so much time with us because he knows our heart tendency towards partiality. He's going to keep building his argument today in verses 10 and 11 to help us understand why cliques in the church are bad to help us understand why favoritism is bad. He's going to do so by showing us that we cannot pick and choose which part of God's Word to obey. And that means we can't pick and choose, verse, chapter 2, verse 1, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. What James is trying to help us see here, friends, is that God demands complete and total obedience. That God demands complete and total obedience. Look at how he phrases this in verse number 10 here. Forever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. Notice his reference here to the whole law. He's not talking about earthly laws here. He's talking about God's law and the part of God's law that we would call the moral law, the part of law in Scripture that shows us what to do and what not to do, how to relate to God and how to relate to one another. It's the moral law that is summarized in the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, four of which show us how to relate to God, that we're to have no other gods, that we're not to have any images of God, that we're not to use God's name in vain, meaning it's profanity or in a casual way. We're to keep the Sabbath holy or set apart for rest and for worship. And then the other six commandments show us how we're to relate to one another, how we're to honor our parents, how we're not to steal, lie, and covet. And then he quotes two of them right here. We're also not to commit adultery and we're not to murder, as he highlights in verse 11. 
Together, friends, these Ten Commandments become a summary of the totality of the law, the law of loving God and loving others. And James is trying to make clear to us that God requires complete obedience to the entire law. Now, to do so, he gives us an illustration. He gives us a hypothetical situation. It's hypothetical because none of us can even reach the point he's describing here. He describes for us a person who keeps almost all of the entirety of the law of Scripture, a person who's committed to guiding their lives by the law. He gives us a picture of a person who obeys 99.999% of the law of Scripture. But at just one point, in relation to just one command, it says here this person fails. In some of your translations, it may say they stumble or this person offends. Whether it says fail, stumble, or offend, the point is someone who disobeys one command, someone who breaks one law, someone who has sinned in one way. And though this hypothetical person has devoted their entire life to obedience to the law, that one singular sin, James says, makes them guilty. That's where guilty is a legal word. This is the word you expect to hear in a courtroom scene when someone has been tried for some crime and the evidence is clear and the judges proclaim that this person is now guilty of the crime. This is the same word is translated here. Guilty is translated in Matthew 5 as liable for judgment. Is liable for judgment. So you can read this verse as, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become liable for judgment. They're guilty. I want you to notice something. How much are they guilty of here? Now, what he says here is hard in our American context, but the early Jewish Christians would understand this coming out of a Jewish background. Look at verse 10 again. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of how much of it, friends? He says of all of it. Let me try to explain that so we can grasp it in our context. How can a person breaking one command be guilty of the whole law? Now, to make sense, let me tell you, first of all, what James is not saying. James is not saying if you commit one sin, you're guilty of every other sin. He's not saying if you lie, you're also guilty immediately of stealing. He's not saying if you hate someone, you're not guilty of adultery. He's not saying if you commit one sin, you're automatically guilty of particular other sins. What he is trying to say to us, and what he is saying to us here, friends, is that the law of God is a seamless unity. And don't miss that. This is important. The law of God is a seamless unity. It is a whole. It is united in this. And if we disobey any part of God's law, we have disobeyed the law, the whole law, the unity of the law in this. And we become a breaker of the law. We become a lawbreaker by breaking any part of it. He's showing us that the law of God is a seamless unity. Now, to help us understand the significance of this, I want to give us an analogy to help us try to get our minds around what he's saying. Because, again, this is hard in our context in the American culture to understand this idea of being guilty of all of it. Whereas, first of all, we have a wrong image in our mind too often of the law and of obedience. Too often in our culture, we see the law like a scale. You think of a scale with two sides of it, with a point in the middle. And you put weights on different sides, and the scale tips, and it's a balance. Too often we see obedience to the law that way. It's when we obey, you put stones on this side. If you disobey, you put stones on this side. And you hope in the end that the good side outweighs the bad. That's the wrong image, friend. But that's what so many people have. So if you talk to the average American, are you a good person? They're going to say, oh, of course I'm a good person. It's not that they know, most people realize they have sin but they think there's more good over here than evil over here. Friends, that's the wrong image of the law, and that's what James is demolishing for us. The image that helps us the most to understand what he's saying here is when you think of the law, think of it as terms of a big piece of glass. So picture the biggest window you've ever seen and a solid, massive piece of glass for that window. That's the image we need of a law. Perhaps it's a big window pane of a storefront. Perhaps it's a big truck window that you see on the back of a glass truck going down the road. A piece of glass, friends, is a single, big, unified whole. Now, you see it all the time in movies and in cartoons. Picture two or three guys carrying a big piece of glass across a street. Now, what's about to happen? Someone's going to run into it. A rock's going to pop up and hit it. A car or motorcycle in a chase is going to crash. And what happens to that piece of glass when it gets hit at one place? The whole piece of glass shatters. If you throw a rock at just one part of a glass window, the whole glass window shatters. Why? Because the glass is a unified 
whole. Friends, that is the image we need for the law of God. Not a scale that we're keeping in balance, but a piece of glass that is a unified whole. When we disobey one law, we disobey any one command, we've disobeyed the law as a whole. We may not have sinned in every way possible, but we have broken that pane of glass. No matter where you throw that rock, in the corner, the center, the other corner, when you throw the rock at the glass, the whole glass breaks. And that's the image that we need to have in mind. Now, friends, with that image in mind, let me give you a second image of what James is saying here. Think back to a courtroom scene. You have someone who's been convicted of murder, and they're guilty. The evidence is overwhelming, there's no question, and they are guilty. And so the judge pronounces to the criminal, you are guilty. Now imagine if this guy gets up and protests, but judge, judge, wait, I'm basically good. Yeah, I know I killed that one person, but just look at all the thousands of people I knew in my life who I never killed. Come on, judge, I, yeah, I know I murdered that person, but I don't speed, I don't cheat on my taxes, I even gave my stimulus check to charity. I never cheated on my wife, come on, I'm a good person. Would that help? No, because that person is a lawbreaker. That one crime makes him a lawbreaker. The whole pane of glass has been shattered because of the law. This person is now guilty. Now take that back to Scripture and to the law that God gives. The law that God gives is a unified whole. If we break one part of it, we're guilty before a holy God of violating the law as a whole, and that makes us a lawbreaker. Back to verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. But that goes back to the big question, but why, friends? Why does God require complete obedience? Why does one sin break his unified law? Why does one sin make us guilty and separated from him for all eternity? Well, our answer is in verse 11. And at first it can sound repetitious, but it's not. There's a key insight here that James is showing us. Look down at verse 11. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Now, the key word here for us is this phrase, he who said. In the Greek language, which this was originally written in, the emphasis in the Greek was on this phrase, he who said. Not on the commands that follow, but on the phrase, he who said. The emphasis of the verse is on God speaking. Because this is a staggering implication for us. Again, when we think of the law, when we think of rules and words on a page here, But the law of God is not just random text. The law of God is not just just words written down. The law of God is the voice of God that has been spoken to us. So why is the law unified like a big piece of glass? Because there's only one lawgiver, God himself, who is undivided. Now that's why so many of the human laws seem like they contradict each other sometimes. Because you have many people in different generations writing laws and changing laws and honestly changing their mind along the way. We've seen that in the middle of the coronavirus situation. You should wear a mask. You should not wear a mask. You should wear a mask. And you have the back and forth of we're open, we're closed, we're open, we're closed, because you have people changing their mind and watching things unfold. But when it comes to the law of God, God doesn't change his mind. There's only one God who has one unchanging will. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he has spoken to us, and we now have the written revelation of his words of his law here. Because that means that no matter what command we choose to break, we are rejecting God's will. Do you realize that? No matter what command we choose to break of what God has given to us, we are rejecting his will. Now, obviously, that would include the big commands that we get our mind around a lot. If we murder someone, we're rejecting God's will for how we relate to one another. But friends, if we reject what we often excuse as little things, like favoritism or partiality in the context here, we're also just as much rejecting the clear, revealed will of God. Now, that does not mean that some sins do not have more consequence in this life than other. They do, and that's a discussion for another day. But what it does mean is that any sin, no matter how big or small we think it is in our mind, is a choice to reject the will of God. Again, don't miss that, friends. Any sin is a choice to reject the will of God. So why then does God demand complete obedience? Why does one sin break his entire law, like a piece of glass being shattered when a rock hits it? Why does one sin make us guilty and condemned? Why? Because any sin rejects the will of God. Friends, can I remind us that God is sovereign? When we think about the sovereignty of God, so often we think of it in terms of his control over our lives and control over history to accomplish his purposes that will certainly happen. And that's so true, friends. But the sovereignty of God also has a moral component to it. 
That means he has the right to demand of us whatever he wants to demand. He is the creator. He made the world and he made us. And he has the right as the sovereign creator who rules over all to tell us what we can and cannot do. And he demands complete obedience to his will. And any sin is a rejection of the will of God. So why does God require complete obedience? Why does one sin break a unified law like a rock hitting a piece of glass? Why does one sin make us guilty and condemned? Because any sin rejects his will. I'm going to give you two other reasons. First, we just said any sin rejects the will of God. But two more things I want you to see here. Any sin, second of all, also rejects the character of God. When we choose to sin, we're not just rejecting the will of God. We're also rejecting the character of God. Because God spoke the laws, friends. They reflect his character. They reflect his nature. So, friends, when we choose to lie, we're acting contrary of a God who never lies. When we choose to steal, we're acting contrary to God who is so generous. When we choose to be unfaithful, we're acting contrary to the character of God who is always faithful. Friends, any sin is a rejection not just of God's will, but also of God's character, his nature. That's what Peter tries to help us see in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, where he says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy holy. When we choose to sin, friends, we're choosing to reject the character of God, to live opposite of what God himself would do. So any sin, no matter how big or how small it is in our mind, is not small to God, because it's rejecting his will, and it's rejecting his character. There's a third reason why this is such a big deal. Number three is any sin is a rejection of God's lordship over us. Any sin, friends, is a rejection of God's lordship over us. Like I just mentioned, God has the right to tell us what to do and to not to do. So any sin ultimately is selfish. Any sin is saying, I'm going to do it my way, God, not yours. And if we pick and choose which commands we're going to obey, God, I'm not going to steal, but I don't want to love that person. God, I'm not going to commit adultery, but God, I don't want to control my thought life. Whatever it is that it is for us, when we choose to pick and choose the commands, we are acting like we are God instead. We're acting like we are the judge of what should be followed and shouldn't be followed. We're acting like we're the ones who have the prerogative to decide what is worthy of our efforts and what is not. When we pick and choose, friends, which commands to follow, we're sitting in judgment on the Word of God instead of letting the Word of God sit in judgment on us. There's a particular author I've enjoyed reading a lot as we've studied through James these last 15 or so weeks, and it's a professor and a pastor named Daniel Doriani. And he said something that just really arrested my attention as I was studying this week. Listen to this, friends. He says, if we pick and choose among the commands, we never really obey God himself. Did you catch that? If we pick and choose among the commands, we never really obey God himself. Why is that? He goes on and continues. If we follow only the laws that we like, if we obey only the laws that we find agreeable, catch this, we make ourselves the final arbiter of truth. If we follow only the laws we like, if we obey only the laws that we find agreeable, we make ourselves the final arbiter of truth. Notice this, friends. In effect, we consult with God and possibly gain valuable pointers from Him, but we are still masters of our lives. So you realize that when we pick and choose, I'm going to follow that, but I'm not going to follow that, we're basically consulting with God, we're gaining pointers from Him, and then we're making our own decision. We're still being masters of our own lives. Doriana continues and says, In this way, obedience is all or nothing. We submit to God totally or not at all. So in the language of James chapter 2, verse 10, to fail at one point of the law makes us guilty of all of it. Because it makes us the judge. It makes us the final arbiter of truth. It rejects his lordship so we can be our own masters. So friends, why does God require complete obedience? Why does one sin break his unified law like a rock hitting a piece of glass? Why does one sin make us guilty and condemned? Because any sin, no matter how big or how small it may be in our minds, it's rejecting God's clear will, it's rejecting God's character, and it's rejecting his lordship over our life. Thus, we do not get to pick and choose which part of God's word to obey. Friends, that truth needs to destroy the lies that we listen to, the justifications in our heart to excuse certain sins in our life. 
to think that certain things aren't quite that bad. Friends, this truth that we do not get to pick and choose, this truth about how sin rejects God's will and his character's lordship, we need to get a hold of that, and we need to let that obliterate those lies we believe and those justifications in our heart that excuse sin. We do not get to pick and choose which part of God's word to obey. But friends, in light of that, there's this another application point, another truth we need to get from this text. We're going to go deeper in this one next week, but I'd be remiss if I don't mention it this morning for us. This requirement God has of total obedience shows us our need for a Savior. Friends, this requirement God has of total obedience to His law, this requirement and this image force of how one sin shatters the whole pane of glass, this should show us our desperate need for a Savior. Friends, can any of us stand before God and be declared good on our own? Friends, of course not. If a person here who has sinned only one time is guilty, how much more guilty are you and me as we struggle with sin day by day by day? And so, friends, the law of God serves us in a really important and good way. The law of God shows us that we can never get to God on our own. We can never obey enough to get to God. The law shows us our need of a Savior, our need of someone to come rescue us from our sins because we cannot rescue ourselves. I love how Paul describes it in Galatians chapter 3. In Galatians 3.10, Paul says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. He's saying anyone who tries to get to God by obeying the law, like the hypothetical person in James chapter 2 here, anyone who tries to get to to God through obedience to the law says is under a curse. That means, friends, they're judged and they're guilty. Why? Because we can never obey perfectly to get to God. And that's what Paul brings out in the very next verse in Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. He says, now it is evident, it's obvious to us, that no one, notice that, no one is justified before God by the law. Because the righteous will live by faith. So if we can't be justified by the law, how can God declare us righteousness, righteous through faith? He tells us two verses later in verse 13. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Friends, who has perfectly kept every point of the law? Friends, who has never shattered that unified whole of that piece of glass of the law? Yeah, it's Jesus, it's Christ. No one else ever has kept the law perfectly but Christ himself. And because he kept the law perfectly and never shattered that pane of glass, he could go to that cruel Roman cross. As verse 13 carries on and says, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And friends, there on the cross, all of the punishment that you and I deserve for our sin got put on Christ. And because he never shattered that glass, because he was perfect, he was able to take the penalty we deserve and take it in our place. So the wrath of a holy God that could not be excused or overlooked got put on Christ on our behalf. And when Christ cried out, it is finished, the punishment we deserve for that sin, for us shattering that glass, has been paid for by Christ. But let me remind us what our mind is often, friends. When Christ died, it's not just our sin getting put on Christ, but all of his righteousness is credited to us, to those who believe in him. So when the Father looks upon us now, he not just sees us forgiven, he sees the righteousness of Christ covering us. He now sees us as one who has never shattered that unified whole of his law, who has never broken that glass. So friends, the law serves us by pointing us to our need of a Savior, by pointing us to the one who perfectly kept the law, who now can rescue us, forgive us, and give us his righteousness. But friends, we'll see more next week. The law also serves us another way. It shows us what God wants of us. It shows us what he desires us to live like. Friends, if we understand that we are covered by Christ's righteousness, if we understand that we're forgiven and that all of our sins have been paid for and all of his righteousness have been given to us, friends, why would we want to continue living in sin? We sang it earlier. Preston read it from the scripture for us that if we're in Christ, we are free, friends. So why do we so often run back? our ways? Why do we want to consult with God but then be the master of our own destiny when the sovereign creator has made us, has redeemed us, has given us a relationship with him and says, walk in my ways by my strength. Friends, if we understand who we are in Christ, it should lead us to desire more and more each day by his grace and his strength to now practically live out who he says we are and how he already sees us. And we're going to go deeper into that as we continue through James. But for now, friends, as we look at James chapter 2, I want to ask you, Have you come to a place in your life 
For you realize that whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become guilty of it all. This has come to a place in your life where you have quit striving to get to God by doing good things, by obeying the law, by going to church, by praying certain prayers. Have you given up trying to get to God on your own and realized that your only way of having a relationship with Him is what Christ has done for you? Friends, if you're relying on your own strength, I want to plead with you this morning, look at the Scriptures and look at what Christ calls us to, but look at what Christ offers to us and realize that our only hope of salvation, our only hope of contentment in this life is knowing God, is knowing Christ and experiencing a relationship with Him. But to the many brothers and sisters of Gateway who I know and I see your love for God and I see God's grace in your life and I see how God has been transforming you, I want to ask you today, are you still trying to pick and choose which part of God's word to obey? Friends, it's so easy for us to do that. Is there some area where the Holy Spirit has been convicting you of sin that you keep thinking it's not that big of a deal or it's really okay and you're trying to pick and choose? Is there some area? If so, if the Holy Spirit shows you some area of your life, as you're reading the scripture, you realize there's some part of your life inconsistent with who you say you are in Christ. I want to just plead with you this week to cry out for mercy and grace, to ask God to forgive you of that sin, but to ask him also for the strength and the desire to walk in holiness before him and to watch him transform those areas of our life. Friends, are we finding joy this day in knowing who we are in Christ, knowing what he's done for us, and in knowing also what he's called us to do? Friends, we're not allowed to pick and choose which part of God's word to obey. I pray for myself and for you this week that God will give us much grace, much desire, and much strength to see areas where we have been doing that. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We're thankful for your word that shows us your incredible love for us. We're thankful for your word that shows us how guilty and helpless we are on our own. To show us how we are transgressors, how we are lawbreakers. Thank you for that bad news that we see of our state without you. But thank you for the good news of what you've done for us in Christ. God, I pray this week for myself and these precious brothers and sisters in the Gateway family. That God, that we would treasure who we are in Christ. You'd anchor us in our identity in Christ and knowing what Christ has done on our behalf that we could never do ourselves. And we ask for much grace this week to find conviction of sin where conviction of sin is needed. You show us blind spots that we all have, Lord, that we might repent of those and we might seek your grace to walk in these ways. And would you guard us this week from picking and choosing what we want to obey. And may we stand before you saying, Lord, you've brought us this far. Please keep guiding me. And let us see you transform us each and every day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you join us in singing our closing song of worship to the Lord this morning?
Father, I pray that what we have just sung, not just be the mere words of song, would be by your grace what we actually believe, that everything we've once held dear we now count as a loss. God, would you work in us such a measure of your grace that, Lord, we would desire you above anything this world offers, that we desire knowing you above anything else. We desire walking with you above anything else in this world. Lord, we can't manufacture a heart desire like that, but God, you and your grace can give it to us. Your Holy Spirit dwelling within us can bring us that place. Your word guiding us can bring us there. So would you bring us and make us into a people, even as we continue to walk through this coronavirus trial, people who, Lord, desire you, Lord, above everything else. Lord, this morning, I want us just to join in agreement and praying for our brother CJ. Lord, I miss him being with us for this service. And Lord, we pray you bring healing and strength to him, give wisdom to his cardiologists and doctors as they continue to work and try to figure out what's going on with his heart. But I pray today that you give CJ peace. You would not let him be worried or anxious in anything he's facing. But God, that you would just bring healing to his body and peace to his heart and soul. Lord, we're so thankful for him. We pray you'd restore him to full health soon, where that he can be back to doing the ministry to this body that you've called him to do. Lord, for this request and all the requests we've prayed for in the service today already. Lord, these are situations that we can't fix, that we don't have human wisdom for. But God, you are the sovereign one over all. So we give these to you in faith, Lord, trusting you to move, asking you to move in such a way, Lord, that you will be glorified, that our faith will be strengthened. We will find great joy watching you move to show yourself strong on our behalf. And God, we ask it all with much thankfulness and much joy in our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, Gateway family. It's been great to worship with you today.